It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We are always live on the free Odyssey app. We are streaming live on YouTube. Uh, although, Anthony, as I look, now we're streaming live on YouTube. Uh, the audio, very important part of a radio show, and now available to you, streaming live on the YouTubes. Uh, hope everyone's having a great Friday. Uh, very good to be out at District E. Uh, here at Capital One Arena, Gallery Place. Interesting to be here after the week that has been. Um, today on the show, we will hear from two monumental executives uh, on the topic of leaving this place for the Washington Wizards. Uh, Jim Van Stone, uh, who has been on a couple of shows over the last couple of days, uh, will join us. I talked to Jim this morning, and the conversation was very, very insightful. Um, I do think that there's just going to be a reality for a lot of us who don't like this decision that there is no satisfactory answer. Someone can't say something that is not true. Hey, actually, uh, you make some great points, Craig. Uh, all your callers that have said all these smart things, all the columnists, all the opinion folks, like you guys are all right. Uh, we're... We're, we're actually going to let the Wizards stay. That's, that's not what you're going to get out of these interviews. But you do get some commitments to the district and, and some admissions. I think that this is still a work in progress in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of work to do. And along those lines, uh, who better to talk about basketball in the district than John Thompson III? Um, so JT3 is going to stop by. Uh, we're, we're nailing down the time on that right now. Uh, but since we are here at District E, at Gallery Place, on the night that the Boundary Stone Court gets revealed, uh, we will talk to JT3 coming up at some point during the show. It is a football Friday presented by your local Honda dealer as well. Uh, so, Anthony, I say we start with a little football uh, before we get into the rest of the basketball stuff. And not really the basketball stuff, the, the moving stuff. And because um, it's Friday, we're supposed to ask what's at stake for the Commanders against the Rams. You, you got anything over there? That's at stake uh, for the Commanders? Yeah. I would say uh, just draft position, to be honest. Yeah. It's really Is that what we're going to do for the next four weeks on Fridays? If, if so, I think we need a better segment. Yeah. Because realistically, what's at stake? Draft position. What's at stake? Sam Howell's future. Those two things are tied. I will say this um, along those lines. Um, one of the key questions I seek to answer between, well, really, I mean, the, the team needs to answer this between now and April, but I would like to have a better answer on it by the end of February, like end of combine. Um, and who knows if I'll be, I hope to, to go out to Indy again, but you know, if, if not, the workouts will happen without me. Um, but one, one of the things that I would like to understand is how many quarterbacks are better than Sam Howell in this draft, right? Not what Sam Howell was as a prospect, but like we've seen two years of Sam in the league, specifically we've seen this year of Sam in the league how many guys in this draft are worth taking in this quarterback class that could have four guys go in the top 10 and as many as six probably go in the first round, um, depending on where Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. go. But uh, we talked to Matt Miller yesterday of ESPN on Take Command, and depending on how some things shake out in the show, you might hear some of that interview, um, but certainly worth a listen in full on the Take Command podcast uh, when, when you're done listening to this radio show and not a moment before. Um, 
but he's only got one. Like, spoiler alert. He said if you can get your hands on Caleb Williams, you should take Caleb Williams. But even Drake May, who some people are going to wind up rating over Caleb Williams in this draft, and Jaden Daniels, who Matt Miller is like, he's like, I am the biggest Jaden Daniels fan you're going to find. I wouldn't draft him over Sam. And I think that's pretty fascinating. And I think, I think one of the things to keep in mind over the next couple of weeks is not only can Sam solidify his future as the commander's quarterback for, for at least next year by performing well, but if he messes around and wins a game or two, then it's basically going to be locked because anyone who could be a better quarterback than him isn't going to be within reach. And right now at number four, there's a chance at least that you could certainly that you could take one if they fall. And I think Jaden Daniels and, and JJ McCarthy out of Michigan, uh, LSU and Michigan respectively are going to be available. Um, but you also, obviously the higher you are, the easier it is and the less it costs to trade up. If you even wanted to go get Drake may or make a giant swing at Caleb Williams at one. Yeah. I mean, that I mean, and that's what we're evaluating or have been evaluating like all season, to be honest. Could Sam be, you know, our franchise QB? And I think if he goes out here and wins a couple of games against some really good defenses, like the Rams may not necessarily be one of the better defenses, but the Jets, the Cowboys, yeah. and then the 49ers, they're Oof. all top five. So it's, it's more so if he goes out here and showcases that he can actually win games because, again, you're, you're judged by wins and losses in the NFL. And this season, we necessarily haven't been able to, you know, win a lot of games uh, and capitalize on uh, in some of those moments. So if he goes out here and definitely puts up some good numbers, and I think that's ultimately what we want. We want, well, I can't say everybody because everybody's not a Sam Howell fan. But I'm, a, I'm rooting for Sam. I think he can be the guy. I want Sam to go out here and do as well as he can the next couple of weeks. And the defense continue to do what they, 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 they've done all season long. And that's, you know, give up huge plays and you know <laughs> ultimately help us lose games and offense good defense yeah, bad exactly that, that that's what i want I, I want us to you know keep our top five draft pick right now let sam go out there and build around him and i think we we can be you know in position to contend in a year or two you, you said something that sparked a thought for me which is if you're a commanders fan you should be a sam howell fan because the best thing for this franchise is him being great, and yeah. you're able to build around him. Um, I thought another thing that was interesting from the Matt Miller chat is he said he's got three guys in his top tier. And if you guys remember like how drafting really works, mm -hmm. right? the way that Logan and I do this, the way Logan really does this, the way Matt Miller, the way that all, scouts, GMs, whatever, is they tier it out. And it's like, okay, we're not going to take a player in tier two based off need if there's still a tier one player available. Um, and then, like, we judge on our ability to trade back with how deep the tier. Can we trade back and not drop down a tier? Like, those are kind of how this works. He's got three guys in tier one as we sit here in December. Now, granted, there's the entire scouting process, the interviews, the medicals, and some of these guys, that could matter a ton. Specifically, Olu Fashanu, the medicals, um, I, I'm pretty sure. I oh, know, sorry. Uh, like, there's the edge kid from um, Latu from UCLA. His medical is going to matter a lot. Um, there's some questions there. But he's got Caleb Williams, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Olu Fashanu going as his top three guys, like, chart-wise, not necessarily by need. We know quarterbacks get pushed up. 
So everyone assumes that Williams and May go 1-2. And so all of a sudden, if you're at four and you got your choice of Harrison or Fashanu, you're getting one of the best players in the draft and a player that in a lot of other years would be a number one overall pick at left tackle if you go Fashanu, which is who I think they would go to, uh, in part because I think Harrison will be gone. So that's a great outcome. The best possible outcome is Sam Howell proves he's great, these next are, are good enough that he's worth investing in and hopefully on a path to greatness over these next couple of games. And then Olu Fashanu is available for you at four. There's your left tackle. Um, and then, you know, maybe you get lucky at the top of the second round with a really good edge player falling because of some of the other positions that are so stacked that you don't really need. Like, there could be eight receivers that go in the first round in this draft. Eight. You know what the commanders don't need? A wide receiver. Yeah. Um, of course, if you get a great player, you get a great player. But um, And do they have like a 1-1, like a Jamar Chase? No. So if Marvin Harrison's available, you take Marvin Harrison. But outside of that, you spent 16 on Josh T- or Jahan Dodson a few, year, few years ago. You've signed Terry to big money. You don't need another receiver. But other teams do. Let them take him. Slide those tight ends down. Slide those edge players down. Slide those safeties down. Slide those whatever else down. And uh, maybe even get like the best guard in, or one of the best guards in the draft at the top of the second round where you have two picks. So lots of opportunity potential for the commanders. All right, when we get back here on the Hoffman Show, we'll circle back to the ongoing story of Monumental Sports taking their teams from right here at Capital One Arena out to Potomac Yards. Some of the things that I think are still lingering and worth discussing uh, we'll get into before John Thompson III. uh, I'm thinking he's going to join us at 4.30. He might join us. Actually, let me check my text real quick. Uh, nope, I uh, don't know yet. So JT3 might be at 4.30. He might be at 6, uh, but we'll, we'll bounce things around. Uh, you will definitely hear from Jim Van Stone today. We got Take Command, uh, potentially, depending on how some of this stuff shakes out. 100% we're going around the NFL at 5.30. That's all still to come on the Hoffman Show here on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, actually going to shift gears here. We'll get back to some of the, the monumental stuff, of course, as the show goes on. Uh, Jim Van Stone, COO and President of Business Operations of Monumental Sports. Uh, you'll hear my chat with him coming up in a little bit. Uh, right now, though, uh, Anthony, the one topic that I also wanted to get to today, big sports topic that we're not going to get a chance to do if we don't do it right now, is there's another opening in the NFL. Brandon Staley wiped out last night uh, by the Las Vegas Raiders and then wiped out by his bosses today. And this is not surprising. Staley has been headed this way for a while as the Chargers have severely underperformed. He's now 24-24 and with a roster that I think a lot of people think you should be winning 60-65% of your games with uh, throughout his career. Obviously, last night uh, he is stuck with Easton Stick at quarterback instead of Justin Herbert. That tends to matter. But I think the, the bigger issue is he was brought in and in a lot of ways to like turn Derwin James into the best player in the NFL, at least at his position. And it just hasn't happened. Um, and like let Derwin James lead a de- that defense to being incredible. Um, Brandon Staley's kind of claim to fame before he got the Chargers job was he was the Rams defensive coordinator 
who really unlocked some of the stuff they did with Jalen Ramsey. He really had an innovative way of thinking about defense that was very offensive-minded, that it was like, how do we create matchups? You know, it's all the stuff that we talk about with the offense. How do we use splits, formations, personnel to dictate? And he's like, what if we did that on defense? What if I took Jalen Ramsey and stuck him here and made you react to him? He's not going to be where you think he is. What if, what if we use our fronts in a way to really make you do something you don't want to do? And it was pretty genius. And he comes from the Vic Fangio tree. Um, he's someone that gave McVay fits in a way that Sean has talked about being really helpful uh, when they had to remake that offense a couple years ago uh, post-Stafford uh, or post-Golf trade with Matthew Stafford. And practices were really hard because Brandon Staley's defense was really good. And it forced Sean to, to innovate and become better. And for that reason, I loved the hire. Everything I read about the guy was incredible. And it just hasn't worked. And so he'll get another job somewhere. He'll be someone's defensive coordinator. He'll, he'll do something. I doubt he gets another head coaching job right away. But who knows, five years from now, he's still very young. Does he get another shot? But I, I think that there is a consensus that this is now going to be the best job available in the NFL, and it could pull someone like a Dan Quinn out of Dallas, someone like a Ben Johnson out of Detroit, candidates who last year could have had jobs but turned them down. And we're like, eh, nah, I think I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna wait till next year, in the cycle. And that's obviously bad for Washington because you want less competition to get the top guys. But the one thing that I, I think is worth pointing out here is. Washington to L.A. is not as unfair of a fight as I think people are going to make it out to be. And maybe I'm just being a homer here. I fully admit that obviously I know a lot more about the Washington situation than anybody else's situation. But I do think that what owner you you work for matters. And the Spanos family is not good ownership out there. And Josh Harris is as good as it gets here, um, in part because people don't know where his flaws are yet. But certainly he's a guy that's going to pay people. There's, there's the Sleeping Giant fan base. Um, you know, Josh is, is very involved in ways you want him to be involved and not involved in the ways you don't want him to be involved. So I do wonder, you know, because like Bill Barnwell did his, his top 10 the other day and he had Washington 7th out of 10. And I'm just like, I, I tend to think that Washington's going to be way higher on the list and so I do still think that even though L.A. becomes available and becomes available early, that Washington has a chance to compete for the Ben Johnsons and others of the world, uh, the top candidates that will be on the market. Do you think, you know, Washington's probably not as, I guess, highly coveted as, as say, a, a Chargers uh, team because of how the Chargers are already positioned? Like, they have a... Yes. On paper, they have a championship run. Like they can, they could. Yeah. They should I mean, be. they've got they've got Mac and Bosa yep. uh, and and Derwin James and Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen's still great. Like they've got dudes, and that that's the thing that holds Washington back. They have yeah. no hyper. Like have that. Terry Terry's great. John and Duran are have been great. They have no elite players. Like you have no one who's one of the five best guys at his position. You were wondering after last year if Duran could elevate to that, if John had elevated to that. I mean, John was an, an all pro last year. So he was top whatever at the position. But you don't have that. But what you do have here is ultimate flexibility. 
And depending on, like, I think this is actually more appealing in that way to a GM than a coach. But, like, if I can literally build the roster from scratch and have the endorsement to do that from ownership and have no contracts that get in my way of doing that, the most onerous contract on the books for this team is Deron Payne's, who's, A, good. It's not a bad contract because he's a good football player. Um, But is also by the end of next year, a contract you could theoretically move on from, like, that's pretty good shape compared to if you wanted to remake the Chargers for whatever reason. Justin Herbert's contract is is got you locked in. Bosa's contract, I'm pretty sure, is, is locked in. Like, you got a lot of money on the books and not the same flexibility. Nevertheless, the draft capital that Washington has. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, would you rather have already had your, you know, roster compiled for you or start from, like, ground zero where you're perhaps, you know, building the roster up? And to be honest, I don't know. I, I like the Chargers roster. I actually I, – I would too. Like, if, if I'm a coach, unless, unless I talk to ownership there and I go, nah, I'm trying to be here. I'm trying to be a Belichick where I'm in one place uh, for 20 years. Okay. And I don't want to work for this dude for 20 years, which is not how most coaches think. Most coaches are like, I don't know, can I make it five? Can I make it through this contract without getting fired? But realistically, if you are someone like a Ben Johnson or even a Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn's not that old. Dan Quinn's probably, what, in his 50s? Like, he could coach. That's when Belichick took over, uh, took over New England. So... If I'm one of those guys and I go talk to, to Spanos and I'm like, this dude sucks, which I don't know if he does. I know there's a lot of people in San Diego who think he sucks, but um, as we've experienced here in this week in D.C., there's a lot of fans have certain uh, selfish views of ownership, right or wrong. Um, but he hasn't been as successful as you think uh, uh, an owner with, with some of the players he's had, whatever has been. There's been some financial stuff over the years. Like, if you just look at Spanos and you're like, I don't know if this Chargers organization is, is really built for this. And you go talk to Josh Harris and you're like, this is the smartest dude I've ever met. That, to me, is the, the wild card here. Is, do you have a longer view? And because of that, do you look at the ownership situation that puts this job ahead of basically every other one that's going to be available, including the Bears with the number one pick and $100 million? And the Chargers with Herbert. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that the decision is easier when you have your franchise quarterback already solidified. 100%. They got that with, you know, Justin Herbert. And, like, even other, some of the other teams that had head coaching changes. The Eagles, Nick Sirianni, he stepped into a great situation. Dan Campbell, he more so had to reshape. I mean, with those that. guys, those guys took situations that didn't look as good as they were and yep. made them. Yeah. And that, that could be this you know, this situation too. Uh-huh. Here's, here's Barnwell's list real quick. Um, Bears is best because they number one pick. Chargers second. He thinks the Falcons is going to come open and they would be third. Ooh, okay. Um, they've got young talent. They're also in a bad division. Um, that's his reason why. Jets. Um, I don't think the Jets job is going to be open. And I wouldn't want it because yeah. ownership's a mess. Patriots. I don't know that I'd want to follow Belichick. They're, they're, I don't like their roster. Their roster's bad. They do have um, the number two pick right now. 
they do have stable ownership. Although, I mean, I hate to say this, but Robert Kraft is old. Although Jonathan Kraft is very involved, his son. Um, so you got the Kraft family. Um, you have a lot of draft capital. And then they've got the Bucks. Uh, he says talent on both sides of the ball, no state income tax, easy division. Cons, no franchise quarterback, difficult cap situation. I'd rather be here than with the Bucks. Yeah, and also but the Mike. Bucks are, Bucks are, uh, they're interesting. But yeah, I think you're about to say Mike Evans is a free agent. Yeah, he's about to be a free agent. So, so, yeah, I don't know. I would put Washington much higher, but yeah. Now I feel like we're back in the off season and during ranking <laughs> season. Like, I would have Washington higher. Turns out all the national people were right. Whoopsies. All right, when we get back, Anthony, we're uh, we're gonna produce on the fly here. Um, JT3 is not going to join us now. He might join us later. We might push that to Monday. Okay. Um, so do we want to play our interview with Jim Van Stone? I think we probably save that for 5 o'clock as planned. You want to go take command next? Yeah, we can go take command. All right. Uh, so, Anthony, you get your pick. Do you want Rams preview, a Jamin Davis conversation, or Matt Miller on the NFL draft? Do you think – We'll see what Anthony selects for all of you next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Coming up 5 o'clock, monumental president and CEO uh, Jim Van Stone. Talked to him earlier today about the move to Virginia, so we will discuss that with him coming up in just a little Bit Right now, though, a little take command for you on a Friday. How about some NFL draft talk? ESPN's Matt Miller has been on the show before. Stop by the pod to talk to me and Logan. Uh, talk about Sam Howell versus the quarterbacks in this class and much more. And here is our conversation with Matt. So you mentioned you just put out your first mock. Uh, I'm guessing you did this before Monday Night Football and never expected the Giants to win uh, because they uh, <laughs> wound up in that fourth right. pick in your mock. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, everyone wakes up the next morning. It's like, wait, they won. They should be fifth, um, which I only yeah. bring up not to be like, hey, what happened uh, there? But because I think it becomes a very interesting question if Jaden Daniels, who for you is quarterback three, is available at four for Washington, which based off that Monday yeah. night result is where they would pick. So when you when you look at what Sam Howell has been as a pro so far, and if you're that GM making the decision, whoever that will ultimately be for Washington, assuming they have massive changes that we all expect, like... Mm -hmm how many quarterbacks would you be considering and really wanting to look at as this guy could be better than what I think Sam Howell can be better than, which is kind of asking you two questions and one, your top quarterbacks and also what you think. Of I was Sam. about to say, man, yeah. that's not a fair question. Cause you know, he's doing his draft <laughs> stuff and now you're like, I got to do the email right. on Sam Howell too. So yeah, no, that's mock drafts it, suck though, by the way. So good for you. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I love mock drafts though. That's my favorite part of the job, honestly. Seriously? But do, you're a psycho. Yeah, but I love, I love doing those. Um, so Craig, you, you know, I was not the biggest Sam Howell guy. I had a third round grade yep. on him. Commanders fans got pissed because someone found like my eval of like my comp for him coming out of college was Colt McCoy, which to me was a compliment. Colt was a damn good college quarterback. He just had a shoulder injury that ruined his arm, but he played in the NFL for like 14 years. So it wasn't the knock that people wanted it to be. Um, so I was not, uh, you know, I had a third round grade on Sam Howell. I think he's he's played above my expectations this year to the point that you have to do that linear evaluation. Okay, Caleb Williams, let's evaluate Sam Howell versus where we think Caleb can be. Also with the understanding Sam's two years into a four-year deal. So you have to think right. about, we're going to have to pay this guy if he's the guy. Um, same with Drake May, same with Jaden Daniels, same with J.J. McCarthy. Um, my, my philosophy this year, 
whether they're in the fourth, fifth slot, somewhere right there is, if it's not Caleb Williams, you build around Sam Howell. Like Caleb's the only guy that I would say, let's see what we can get for Sam Howell. Let's call New England. Let's call Atlanta. <laughs> let's see, you know, what what kind of draft capital can we get? And, you know, I, I think the other thing that you have to do, um, so I would start end of the year, you got a new general manager and a head coach. The first thing I'm doing is calling Ryan Poles, the general manager in Chicago, and saying, how, do you believe in Justin Fields? You know, do is Justin Fields in three first round picks? Do you believe in that more than you believe in Caleb Williams? Uh, because if so, we'll give you the we'll give you the Bryce Young package. We'll come up no to kidding. one and draft Caleb Williams. I think like why not call him? He traded out of it last year. Why not call yeah. and say, hey, Justin Fields looked pretty good since that thumb injury. Uh, what if we give you? So you know, just real you quick, you first? like Fields more than Howell, like by uh, that much. No, not by that. No, what I'm saying is, like, if you're Chicago, can you talk Chicago into keeping Justin Fields with three more right, draft, with you the giving the draft yeah. picks? Um, I like Justin as a runner more than Sam Howell. I think Howell's been better as a passer. And so it's just like it goes to that, like, how do you want to build your team? You know, and I, I think mm-hmm. for Chicago and Washington, those are huge questions. So, um, you know, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't kick Sam Howell to the curb for Drake May. I, I just wouldn't. Uh, same same for I love Jaden Daniels. I'm a huge Jaden Daniels fan. Um, that conversation might be a little more interesting because I, I think, you know, Drake's 20 years old. Uh, JJ McCarthy's 21 years old. These guys, I don't know that they're ready to step in and be CJ Stroud, you know, so there's going to be a developmental period where it, it does go to the, would we rather have Marvin Harrison Jr. with Sam Howell? Would we rather have Olu Fashanu or Joe Alt with Sam Howell? How much better can Sam look? And you know, that's really one of those things, like, unless you're in that building, seeing his work ethic and practice habits and film study, like, it would be disingenuous for me to sit here having watched, you know, 12 Commanders games and say, no, like, Sam Howell's not the guy. Or, yeah, Sam Howell's the guy, because I think so much of it is going to be what's happening behind closed doors that can make you believe he can continue to get better. Yeah, and so one of the things you said there that I thought was interesting, it's like, if you were to tier, let's say, your top 15 guys, like who's tier one? Cause I, you know, everyone does these linear drafts and it makes sense. Like it's yeah. a linear big board, but like, I don't think of the draft that way. Cause it's like, you know, who are the best players? Are they in the same tier? And yeah. like, you kind of said something there about the quarterbacks, which I thought was interesting. Like there was one guy that's kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. How does that, how, how do those other quarterbacks shake out in comparison, to like a Marvin, Marvin Harrison jr. Or the edge rusher from UCLA or, you know, one yeah. of these top tier tackles. Right. So can you kind of give us some insight on that? Yeah, I think there's a clear top tier this year. I would say that's Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Olu Fashanu. Like, I feel comfortable Ooh, saying those really? guys are in a group by themselves. Yeah, like, they're in most drafts, they would be the number one overall player. You know, it's like, they're that good. Um, even, like, if Caleb Williams had been in the draft last year, he would have gone first overall. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, we could say what we want about, did the Panthers make the right call with, with Bryce Young? he would have gone first overall. I think, in, you know, the quarterbacks are always going to get inflated. Most drafts, Olu Fashano would be a number one overall player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be a number one overall player, even if they're not the first pick because sure. they understand quarterbacks go first. But they would be the top-ranked player. I think after that, there's a drop-off. You know, after that, you get into Drake May, quarterback North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You get into Joe Alt, the left tackle from Notre Dame. Um, I think that's where you see – uh, Leatu Latu, the DN from from uh, UCLA that you mentioned, medicals are going to be huge for him. Um, mm. To where we could be talking about a top ten pick, or we could be talking about a second round pick with him. Sure. Uh, Dallas Turner from Alabama, pass rusher, is, is right in that group as well. I would say uh, Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia. Um, 
you got three wide receivers I would put in there, Keon Coleman, Florida State, Malik Neighbors, LSU, and Roma Dunze from Washington. And then after that, you, you, you get to another tier after that. So, yeah. you know, like guys that I will have a true first-round grade on, it's probably like 11 or 12 this year. I think in a, in a quote-unquote normal year, you're probably going to have 15, 16. So uh, in terms of like true blue-chip talent, and I, I should have mentioned, I would put Jaden Daniels right in that group too, probably at the tail end of it. Uh, true first-round grades, those are those are the guys I would put in there. In that tier two group, you're saying, with Jaden Daniels? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, a Jaden Daniels fan, guys. I don't, yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, like, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, with whomever gets hired there and and who the what the offense looks like. But no player improved more in college football this year than Jaden Daniels, and I right. I love to see that from quarterbacks. Like, you know, 2022, he was good, but he he wasn't this. And you see the work <laughs> he put in, and then you're like, damn, that dude took off. And it's not like artificial. You know, it's it's. You yeah. got better at at certain skill sets that are obvious to see on film, and that's that's where you get pretty excited. So let me ask you that kind of follow up to go deeper on that though, because I feel like sometimes that's a little scary. Is like what actually happens is a guy figures out college football, and it's like, oh, is he ever going to be able to make the yeah. next step and figure out the NFL? Um, so how do you try to differentiate a guy who figured out college football versus a guy yeah. that made a huge, significant leap like Jaden Daniels did that? can carry that kind of improvement into the league. What helps is when you play in the SEC West. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're at LSU, like, come on, you're not, you know, you're not playing. It's not at Colorado, you know, like you're playing the best of the best in the SEC week in and week out. And, and you know, we, we were talking about corners earlier, you know, Tyrion Arnold, Enos Regstraw, Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, Kamari Lassiter. There are just four corners right there from the SEC. They're going to be first round picks. So, like not, you're seeing the best talent, and so I, I think with you always have that worry. Hey, this guy's 22, he's playing as 19 year olds. Did it just click for him because he's physically in his at his peak, or is it because he's been in college for four years and it clicked? Those are all questions that you you have to answer. And I think what helps me with Jaden Daniels specifically is I've talked to coaches at LSU that say. No, what clicked was the work ethic. He started mm-hmm. to understand what he had to do to be great. And he was he was in here every day working his ass off. He, you know, gained like 15 pounds of muscle because he knew he he needed to get better there. Um, I can watch his 2022 tape and see him dropping his eyes and running around like crazy when he gets pressured. I watched him in 2023, eyes are downfield, he gets pressured, he understands he has numbers, and he's layering it over the top to to two really good receivers and Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. I was about so to say, man, he's got some good. He's got some good receivers. He's got too, some though. dudes. You know, yeah, I always say like, so did Joe Burrow. So did <laughs> yeah. Stroud. You know, it's like, and uh, I think last year someone asked Hendon Hooker about that, and he said, "It's not my fault my receivers get open." You know, and he's right. It's not. You know, it's like you would be dumb not to throw it on because they're open. Yeah. So do you hit him in timing, uh, and, and you know, do you hit him right. accurately? Yeah, and I think that's where like I I love the analytics side of things that helps me do my job. But mm. there's there's no substitute to turning on the tape and seeing, man, I'm watching this guy make plays with his eyes and arm in the pocket that he never made before, and that's where like I get excited about his development. Yeah, so you said something interesting earlier when you were talking about uh, Caleb Williams and how you would potentially trade up for him. If one of those three guys that you mentioned aren't there when Washington, I guess, is picking at four, is that right, Craig? Four? Yeah, with where we are right now, they're picking fourth. Uh, obviously, four games to go. And obviously, you know how quarterbacks tend to go, and you seem very high on Sam Howell. Like, would you trade back out of that fourth pick if you make the decision to stay with Sam? And it does seem like that second tier is pretty meaty with some good football players it in it. 
and you can get back out of there and and still get a good football player. I think trading back is certainly on the table and it, I'm not trying to like hedge here at all. It really depends on what happens at two, three. So let's say just for fun, Chicago takes Caleb Williams, New England takes Drake may uh, the Arizona Cardinals take Marvin Harrison jr. You're sitting at four with Olu Fashano on the board. Take you him. just take him. Take He's the him, first tier, right? man. You got to take him. Exactly. Yeah. Top tier. And I love, I like Joe Alt as well, but the difference between those guys is significant enough for me that you don't risk it. You don't risk. Hey, what if we move back? Especially where you have a division rival, the New York Giants sitting at five. Don't help them. Like, don't give them potentially a good player. Um, so I, I, you, in that scenario, you take Fashano and you feel great about it. And then round two, you're like, hey, let's get some receivers in round two. And I, yeah. this is a fun study. And you guys, if you get some downtime, do this. Look at the best left tackles in the NFL. Most of them were first round picks. Right. Now, you want to look at the best wide receivers in the NFL? We get, <laughs> you got a laundry list of guys round two, round three. So, you know, you could you find, you know, an A.J. Brown type talent, the top, top round two, or Debo Samuel? Hell yeah. Happens every year. So, um, especially if you this can year get too, right? right. It, I mean, I had eight wide receivers going to my round one mock draft. That would be a record. And there were like two or three more guys I probably could have fit in there. So, right. the, the wide receiver class is so deep. And I know fans, but you know, Washington fans, you guys have a lot of needs. You know, I mean, that's just where you're at. You're, you're drafting four. You obviously have some needs, but you can stack the board pretty well this year, I think. If you go tackle round one, whether it's edge rusher or wide receiver in round two, like there's there's good depth there. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to ask next is you actually have what I would consider potentially a small number of quarterbacks, only four, I think, going or three, four, yeah, four going four. in your yeah. uh, first round, all of whom are going in the top 10 is you've got J.J. McCarthy from Michigan going very high. Um, but Bo Nix is going to be in the mix. Michael Penix from Washington is going to be in the mix. There might be a couple of others um, by the time the process is over. And then you have Washington sitting at the top of the second round with their pick and the Bears pick. Who are some of the guys that, that like, uh, how would you grade, like, the position Washington is in with those two picks at the top of the second round? Because um, you said there's maybe not as many guys with the first-round grade this year, but is that yeah. next second tier deep enough at the right positions that it could be extremely beneficial to Washington? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'll go back to this is a great class for wide receivers. It's a great class for offensive tackles. So, and especially – you know, the right tackle position, I know Andrew Wiley's there. Um, you know, the, the jury, I think, is out on the job that he's done this year. But um, the, the draft is deep enough at those positions that you you could be pretty excited. Um, corner is going to be deep in round two. I know, you know, last year getting Forbes in the first round, um, it, we're probably going to – we're definitely going to see a new defensive system in there. So uh, that will be interesting to see, you know, how well Forbes fits with, with whatever comes in. But – I think at those, you know, what you would consider premium positions, there is that good depth. So top around two, you know, probably not a quarterback is the one thing I'm going to say, because I do think those four guys are going to go fairly early. Um, Bo Nix might even go late first round. I think we could see a team try to jump back up. If, if you like Bo Nix, the guy started 60 games in college. So anything you want to see, you can see it on tape, you know, SEC, Pac-12, he, he played them both. Um, really good at attacking outside the hashes, you know, really good intermediate timing. He's athletic. I could, I could see him having a strong enough pre-draft process that someone late first round tries to get back in, uh, you know, and to make him the guy, um, it just, especially because I think last time I counted, there were like 12 teams that could make a change at quarterback. And we're talking about four going in the first round. So Bo Nix and Michael Penix become pretty valuable in that scenario, especially where the free agent quarterbacks this year, Kirk Cousins, and Brian Tannehill. Like I don't, I don't know that anybody's beaten down any doors to sign those guys, uh, especially with Kirk coming off an injury. 
So uh, it, it does get pretty interesting on how are you going to fill all those quarterback needs with, uh, you know, again, another long conversation. NIL has changed quarterback in the draft. You know, it, the days of guys, you know, okay, hey, it's been four years, I'll enter the draft. Uh, that's gone. You know, I mean, we got Tyler show going seven, seven years in college at this point. And so that middle market of quarterbacks is, you know, Cam Ward, Washington state is, is transferring. He would be a guy that would normally be in the draft and you would say, hey, that's a good mid round quarterback. Um, now those guys aren't, aren't jumping in. And so it feels like we're going to get to this point where there's gonna be round one quarterbacks and then there's gonna be late day three quarterbacks. And there might not be a whole lot in the middle. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about the offensive side of the ball here. In terms of defensive, like blue chippers, are there any? And do you think that, like, kind of, you know, one of the positions that was really kind of rich last year was that edge rusher in that second, early second round? Are there going to be guys there that can play some football? Yeah, so it's a it's a, a light class defensively, especially in terms of blue chippers. I would say Turner at Alabama and Latu at, at UCLA have a have the right. potential to be there. Again, a lot too. Medicals are going to be a huge part of that evaluation. I, I think particularly the edge rusher spot is interesting this year because you're going to have guys who are there early round two. They're going to be values. It's just a matter of whether they're going to be a scheme fit. Like Chop Robinson at Penn State is fascinating to me because his production was through the roof. I think his pass rush win rate was like 20%. But mm. he's listed at 255 pounds, and I don't believe that for a second. I think he's <laughs> 240, 245 is what he looks like on the field. Um, so, you know, that's just going to be a question of, Hey, this guy's, he's undersized, however you want to slice it. Um, even if he puts on some weight throughout the process. So you're going to have guys like that, you know, who are available potentially top around too. It's just, do you like the scheme fit, uh, on the opposite end, Chris Braswell from Alabama, you know, he's been overshadowed by Will Anderson Jr. Overshadowed by Dallas Turner. He's just a really good player, you know, plays with power, sets the edge. Well, uh, has, you know, that first step burst, he's probably going to be available, uh, early round two, especially if you're running a defense where a guy has you know, really almost exclusively stood up in college. Um, mm. That could be something that's a really good fit, depending on what kind of scheme you're running. So uh, I do think there there will be a conversation, maybe three to four guys uh, at the edge position that are available. Um, it's a very weak defensive tackle class, which I know you guys are, you know, I've got two very, very good defensive tackles in there, um, but it's weak at safety. Uh, and and off-ball linebacker it doesn't look like it's going to be super loaded this year either. Uh, last thing for you, Matt, uh, and I can't believe I'm the one asking about this position, but when you talk about building around Hal, a tight end would be quite nice. Uh, so how's the <laughs> yeah. tight end class look? Brock Bowers is a stud. Um, that's easy. That's the easiest evaluation maybe that's, in this well, year's Wow, that's draft. great insight. He's, he's kind yeah, of he's, a, yeah, an interesting go, one, though, because right? he's a little undersized, right? Like, he's he's not a 6'7 body type. Stop. Stop, Greg, just trying stop. To paint a picture. <laughs> I'm trying to paint a picture <laughs> yeah. for the audience that when you think about stud yeah. tight end, you think about, like, the 6'7", you know, kind you of Rob Gronkowski right? body type. Yeah, Travis yeah. Kelsey. Yeah. yeah. He's different, even if he's still awesome. Bowers is different. 6'4", 245. I, I think he's very similar to George Kittle. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Kittle, okay. look at you, yeah. Matt. I knew we'd get along and, so well. Right. <laughs> and honestly, it's a similar play style uh, of that, like, rough tumble, I'm going to run over you. It's not the, like, pretty boy Kyle Pitts, like, split me out, I'll run vertical. It's like, no, I'm going to run through you if you get in front of me. Um, he's, you know, great effort as a blocker, very, very strong. So he's going to go early. Uh, I'm obsessed with Jatavian Sanders in Texas. I don't know if he's going to declare for the draft yet, but I think he's a top 40 player if he comes out. He's more of your you know, motion guy, flex tight end, really, really good up the seam. 
he is a good downfield blocker. He's not an inline guy. That's just not his game. Um, mm. But it, it is. It's a weak tight end class, which is understandable because last year was maybe the greatest tight end class of all time. And we're seeing those early benefits. You know, Sam Laporta, Trey McBride, like so many of those dudes are just blowing up already. Kate Otten is having a, a quietly really good year in Tampa. So um, as much as there are teams, you know, I live south of Kansas City and I'm like banging the table like guys should have drafted a tight end last year and they didn't. And now it's like, you know, Kelsey's getting triple teamed and because you don't have many wide receivers, it'd be great to have a tight end in the wings for your 35 year old, you know, who's now right. dating the most famous person on the planet. Uh, this is not the year to, to try to find that starter level tight end. If you're not drafting in the top 35. We'll see if, how many how many times the commanders are drafting in the top thirty five. Uh, that's still in play, so we'll, right. see, we'll see. Uh you might be Matt okay. Miller, you yeah. can <laughs> Yeah, Matt Miller, you can read his work. ESPN.com, the mock draft out now. The first one, uh, many more to come. And Matt, hopefully this is the first of at least a couple conversations that we'll have between now and April. Yeah, let's do it. Uh Senior Bowl is a month away, a month and some change away. So a uh, lot to talk about, guys. Uh, always lots yeah, to talk no about. No doubt about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Matt, and thanks, everybody, for listening to Take Him In. All right, that was from the Take Command podcast, which is available now wherever you get your pods. Uh, there's actually another like six and a half minutes of that conversation about how Matt goes through his process. That's really good. A Rams preview uh, and a conversation about Jamin Davis and where we are with him as his season has come to an end. That all is available in the latest edition of the Take Command podcast. And don't forget the Take Command pregame show comes at you live Sunday. Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor. Uh, you can come hang out with Logan and I. Watch all of the games Sunday out there in Oxon Hill. When we get back here on the Hoffman Show, which is broadcasting live today from District E, the block party ahead of the game against the Pacers tonight for the Wizards. Monumental Sports COO and President of Business Operations, Jim Van Stone, is with us talking about the story of the week, the Wizards and Caps leaving town for Virginia. That's next on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.